Alright, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here. I'm going to intro you in a second because we've got to kick it off with Meme of the Week. It's our boy, Dr. Parik Patel. Definitely a real person, Dr. Patel.eth. And this had me howling, boys. It said, and it's a picture of the head of state of India, Mr. Modi, hugging Putin. And uh, the caption is, can't keep Gujaratis away from a discount. And bro, this had me howling Wait, so much. Because, what's the headline? India is uh, going to buy discounted Ru- Russian oil, right? Exactly, yeah. So Russia is offering oil at a heavy discount. We'll be happy to take that. India looks to bail out Putin, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, okay Bilal, then- why is this so funny? As a, as a Pakistani uh, Brit... Can you explain to us the humor involved with this? Because it's, so, dar- it's a, it's a yeah. dark joke. It's a very it's a dar- dark joke. Out of the three of us, I was the only one who can present that. Yeah, okay. we don't yeah. want to get cancelled or demonetized before we monetize, as we said. But um, but yeah, so obviously there's a... We've all seen Russell Peters, Indians versus Chinese people doing business. That's a classic yeah. joke. Yeah. But specifically within the brown community, there's a... A group of people called Gujaratis who are from Gujarat and they uh, like the joke is that they're like cheap or whatever, right? So, is that southwestern India? Is this the right? I don't even right? know what part of India is, okay. but it's just. Uh, I think it's yeah, in the it's, south, but they are known to be very good at business. Is this completely? Correct? Yeah. yeah. And in the UK, um, specifically, you get, you know, a lot of like the store owners of Gujarati and, and stuff like that. I grew up with a lot of Gujarati friends. One of them's listening right now, Hitesh. Patel, I sent this to after. And okay. uh, yeah, but it's the, the bigger story, obviously, is India is buying up some of that uh, nice cheap oil that is going around right now. Because it's a good business opportunity. <laughs> I mean, 100%. And then to be fair, I did get a response saying Imran Khan, the prime minister of Pakistan, is also trying to get his hands on on the good stuff. So anyway, let's get, let's get straight into what we're talking about this week, boys. There's a lot going on. Uh, we got Yuga Labs buying punks and me bits. We're going to get our very own Jack's take on that. He's uh, Mr. NFT. So we're going to talk a little bit about the implications of that and what it might mean for the space. Then I'm going to walk you guys through what's going on in the football soccer world. Roman Abramovich, the owner of Chelsea, has been sanctioned by the UK. And we're going to talk about what's happening there, specifically a bit about his shady past, the impact it's had on football as a whole and then this kind of wider idea of sports washing um then trung is going to talk through amc buying a gold mine i said just before the show started you couldn't write a better nia headline right the meme stock buying a gold mine is incredible and uh, we'll see we'll see if we get any more time after that but let's just kick it off with yuga labs um boys because this is very much within the nia core demographic of meme stocks and nft world so what happened here um and who are yuga labs for people who don't know so yuga labs is the company behind the board ape yacht club uh must have been incorporated almost a year ago to the day right and and then this headline yuga labs acquires CryptoPunks and me bits and gives commercial rights to the community that's the headline that they wrote to announce the fact that they bought the ip so they bought um, the two collections and the rights to those collections from a company called Lava Labs run by two dudes. That's not the entirety of their work, but Punk's probably the most culturally recognized piece of work that they've produced. Um, and we'll drop a link to this, but 
uh, Yuga Labs wrote a blog post about the acquisition and talked a little bit about their intentions. And broadly speaking, it was, we acquired the IP. The first thing we're going to do is transfer or, you know, give commercial usage rights to the owners of these tokens within um, the uh, CryptoPunk and MeBits community. So CryptoPunks is a 10,000 avatar project, very similar to the Board Ape Yacht Club. I think they actually referenced it as their inspiration. And, you know, pretty much every 10,000 edition profile picture project is inspired by the CryptoPunks. And then MeBits was a secondary project that Lava Labs launched. They actually gave, there's, there's 20,000 of those and 10,000 of them were free given to um, owners of CryptoPunks. So free to claim these MeBits. And the, I guess the community has reacted to this in different ways, like depending on what side of the commercial rights debate you sit on art versus brand versus business. Uh, I think broad strokes, the, like the consensus is what well, obviously depends who you ask, but the assignment of commercial rights to the owners of the tokens is a meaningful step forward, right? If you own this thing, but you have very limit, you're very limited in what you can do with it. What do you actually own? That's like, what is art and all of those debates go into that. And, um, also the, the, like the board ape approach has been much more almost like a startup, right. In the, in the way that they've been like aggressively building things. Uh, they hired a guy called guy Siri. I think we talked about that briefly at one point, but this guy's like a Hollywood agent. And I think, you know, tapping into the networks of people that have influence and, you know, getting them to buy up and display these things has like quickly accelerated the adoption of the, um, of, this profile picture trend at like the highest levels of celebrity. And um, it says in this blog post that he was actually responsible for like suggesting this deal or making this deal go through. So the Matt and John, the guys that built Lava Labs, I don't think their core competency is like negotiating partnerships, doing press, PR stunts, all of that stuff. They just want to make, uh, these guys are actually also responsible for the little um, Android character. You guys know what I'm talking about. Wait, like Google's little, Android? Yeah, they designed they that. The, yeah, they designed that little oh half goodness. circle oh, head thing. Sick. I didn't know that. So they, so uh, Blau, come on, bro. <laughs> that's your that's your hood right there. Yeah, so they're like uh, in it for the art, I would say. Right, they have a couple other collections, generative collections, Autoglyphs, another famous one. Um, and it seems like they, over time, like with the Bored Ape collection kind of catching up to punks in terms of market cap, there's all this pressure coming from the community. Like, what are you going to do to, you know, accelerate right. the adoption of these things or how are you going to make them more attractive? And the, the kind of opposing opinions on the community side, one is like, yeah, do the same thing. And the other is like, no, this is just, you know, these are historical digital artifacts art pieces like you don't need to add all of that stuff in here and like kind of there's a purity to it as it stands and the the deal the details of the deal 
have not been made public. I heard a number 350 million somewhere. To me, that sounds, it sounds wrong to me, but it sounds low because they also acquired a bunch of assets in the process. So 423 CryptoPunks and 1700 MeBits. I think the value of those alone at market price would exceed that by... It's already like half a bill right there. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, don't, I have no idea what the number was. And um, Yuga Labs has said that they'll, uh, they have no immediate plans for it other than returning or granting, I should say, uh, commercial rights to the people that own the tokens. And then that debate just becomes stuff that we've talked about on this podcast for a really long time, which is how effective is that? How, like, how much value can, can be created by a community? And I will say one thing, um, since the original thesis that we put out, you know, the decentralized Disney idea a year in, there are still only a handful of examples of people that have really executed something recognizable and uh, like have genuinely created like additional value beyond the collection itself. So I think the, the cynical argument is um, more to do with like anything, any meaningful copyright exchange or any meaningful like, copyright vent or venture that uses the IP is going to have to be negotiated at the brand level, like with the founders, with the people that are running the, um, running the entire business. So what remains to be seen, but it, a lot of people welcome the move, right? It's like, this is a better, this is a better situation, sorry, for the community than having no ability to use these things in, in whichever way you want to. Wait, Jack, in a previous episode, you talked about is funks related to how punks did not allow for commercial usage of their uh, of their uh, 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 PFPs profile? Yeah, so they issued a bunch of DMCAs. Like that's a big, uh, okay. like Lava Labs, the guys who created CryptoPunks have like went through this. There was this period of time where they were just constantly issuing DMCAs for their were copyright they, being used incorrectly. Were people taking them down? On some exchanges, yeah. So like they okay. would issue... Uh, DMCA complaints to like OpenSea or to uh, Foundation, whoever that was hosting the work. And then Funks, as an example, like their collection got removed from OpenSea. So okay. now they have their own decentralized marketplace that, you know, short of, I don't know, AWS taking it down. I'm not sure there's right. much anybody can do. Um, so yeah, that, that's another, it's another interesting thing like all of these derivative projects that have existed off the back of punks over time i don't know if this actually changes the value of any of those things um but there's you been a few all three right you hold board apes crypto punks and funks and me disclaimer yeah. disclaimer yeah. and me the whole <laughs> yeah the full so deal. jack for your retirement portfolio and your your family's future generational wealth, yeah, is this move positive in the end? I think. I mean, I think you have to bet on the guys that created the most amount of value in the shortest amount of time. Okay. Uh, I would say yes. I think there's my thesis remains the same though, as like how much room do the individual assets have to go up from here? Like right. how big is the market of people that have that amount of disposable 
capital income, whatever you want to call it versus like, does the next stage need to be, you know, company X buys character Y, right. right? What's the next market to take it to the next level? And then does it become, does it retain its cultural relevance uh, over time? I think maybe there's a good discussion to be had from like a traditional like startup and uh, like business acquisition strategy perspective where, you know, they got so well capitalized in such a short amount of time that they can literally take their competition off the market, like swallow up the OG competitor and then have, even if they do nothing, like they're kind of protecting their um, position in the market just by having the ability to, you know, control that collection. So I think like incredibly savvy move from that perspective too. Um, yeah. Pretty amazing. And I think it will set like a precedent for acquisitions in this space, like the buying of IP, you know, brands coming up and gobbling up uh, these things that already have network effects and might be adjacent to what you're already doing. There's some rumors going around that Disney is like looking at buying a, a PFP collection right now. We don't know That's what that is. If I had to guess, I think the, uh, have you seen the doodles? Have you seen those yeah. uh, like cartoony looking things? Um, if I had to guess, I'd be that just from an aesthetic and like a you know, vibe perspective. They're like a lot softer. So maybe that's it. But I've to be completely honest. The uh, ever since our bear market episode, I haven't been as like degenerately <laughs> investing my time in this stuff. Like I'm not spending 50 hours a week looking in discords anymore so uh was i could be way off person, on that one was it the in-person event jack was it from there in new york <laughs> it was <laughs> no well i think it was tailed off from them but then when we talked about the um you know the hyper speculation stuff that we talked about before um yeah that my 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 time has been invested a little differently in the last few months just focusing on making my own stuff i suppose to, uh, to creating stuff yeah. indeed well, uh, I had a couple points here from uh, Cosmo de Medici, the uh, synonymous. Uh, I can I still can't say that word. What is pseudonymous? Pseudonymous. Listen, his profile picture is an NFT, and nobody knows who he is, but he's a great. Uh, the account is widely followed. Um, big NFT investor. He had a thread on this acquisition. So a couple points I wanted to pull on. Uh, Jack mentioned one of them was how well capitalized Yuga Labs is. So Yuga Labs is the board ape creator. So they got funded. I think they raised a couple hundred million at a $4 billion valuation. That ballpark, uh, Andreessen Horowitz, uh, not surprisingly, led that, I believe. But um, Cosmo brought up a great point that, Jack, you brought up all just now, is the idea of a well-capitalized player in a market gobbling up an OG. Let's talk creative market. The example he brought up specifically is Louis Vuitton buying uh, Christian Dior. Now, if you know, uh, well, actually, Louis Vuitton didn't buy Christian Dior. It was the other way around. But the as we discussed many episodes back, uh, the story behind Bernard Arnault, uh, the third richest person in the world, the, the majority old owner of LVMH. Yeah, old oh, matey yeah. is what... <laughs> Wait, what's up? What, what Jack referred to, he asked... Who's old matey who owns that fashion brand? <laughs> Who's the old matey? The old matey is the third richest guy in the world. I'm yeah, probably exactly. saying his name wrong too. But uh, 
So that story was the he had a large pot of money coming from a family, a construction manufacturing family, goes out and buys Christian Dior, and then builds re you know turns Christian Dior around. And Christian Dior is a legacy legacy fashion brand, right? And then legacy and then Christian Dior goes around a couple of years later. This all starts in the mid to late '80s and buys LVMH. Uh, so this is one of those situations, right? And I, I think the larger point is. You have a steward now. Like, why is LVMH so valuable? As we talked about, it's a $300, $400 billion company. They are a steward of brands, right? And uh, the Yuga Labs becoming a steward, uh, as Jack alluded to, they seem to be much more commercially minded, right? They have uh, that, that gentleman, the, the Hollywood agent, that kind of probably runs a lot of their partnerships and uh, strategy now. They're thinking about how do we increase the value of this brand? I mean, Jack was like, I mean, we have videos from last April and May of Jack first mentioning Bored Ape, right? And like, we could pull clips of us being like, oh, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. And then a year later, uh, literally a year later, they built this multi-billion dollar uh, uh, creative asset that just swallowed up the OG. I think that's such a great point, right? Like, crypto punks are the OG for this NFT asset class. I think Cosmo referred to it as the Bitcoin of NFTs. It's like the first... And the uh, the ones that will always have the Lindy with it, but uh, because of the commercial mindedness of Yuga, they'll be able to capture that and hopefully for Jack's bags, increase the value of everything. Now, now Cosmo brought up two other points I wanted to talk about because uh, Jack, you said like, how much more can these go right from this point? It's like, how much more valuable can these things get? They're quite valuable. So he, uh, he looked at the entire portfolio. He says between... Board Ape, uh, Crypto, uh, or MeBits, Autoglyphs, and uh, like Mutants, uh, the Board Ape Mutants. So there's like 60,000 PFPs across that asset now. He, his instinct is that that's still like not a lot. He's saying that that's still pretty uh, scarce of a resource, which fair enough. If we believe the crypto economy will become uh, on board two, three billion people, and you only have 60,000 of these assets, I get that. Um, the other point he brought up, which is super interesting was, uh, and I love Jack's point on this because you mentioned in the past is how much of an earthquake the flippening was when board ape became bigger than crypto punks, when the floor price of a board ape became bigger than the floor price of a crypto. So his position was that it completely changed the NFT industry because before that, the idea of, Hey, 2017 OG that would be the ultimate trump card. That's what the premium was, right? Yeah, the premium yeah. was 2017 trump card. But then when Board Ape flipped it, it went from, oh, wait, the premium is no longer. This thing that everybody thought was the trump card in this industry, it turns out if you manage your PFP collection well and you play the cards right strategically, you can create a greater asset than the Bitcoin of NFTs. And that led to this... Uh, I don't know what month it happened, Jack, you'll know, but he said that afterwards, it was just a race of new NFT projects because what everybody thought was the main criteria for what made NFTs valuable, the lindiness, the old school, the OG-ness, just went right out the window. I loved you to opine on that. Yeah, that's a good, you, you uh, articulated that really well. I think the idea um, that there's only room in people's heads for a certain number of like, top tier things in a category is a really interesting way to think about this too. Like 
in the watch world, let's say, right? If you would say, what are the top five luxury watch brands in the world? Most people would come and give you the same three, four, five every time. And the I think Rollies, that's like, son. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the AP, the whatever. And the, the idea that you value those based on the, when they were founded is like, if you think about being at the, uh, at the inception of a category, you really overweight or overvalue certain criteria right. based on your proximity to the criteria at the time, right? But what really matters is how much of a cultural impact they can have over a significant period of time. And it is like attendee chess move to swallow up the only real like competitor you have for the person who is like the high net worth individual that's like, which signal do I pick? Right. Yeah. And the only reason you would pick the punk over the board ape is because you want to be signal more like OG crypto status. Right. But now that is even out of the window. Like those you're buying into Yuga labs that created board apes. They now own that collection. So I don't think the purchase of a crypto punk now means the same thing as it might have done, you know, six, even six months ago. But again, I'm talking from the perspective of people who are so close to it that they yeah. all of the intricacies of who owns what is actually in your mind versus like LVMH owns dozens of luxury brands and a consumer of one of those brands might not think, might never identify with another 20 of their brands, right? So like these are like culture holding companies and honestly, it's mind blowing to think about the like the level of strategic thinking that's gone into this, and it's not coming from a team that has this experience, at least the way it's been positioned. Right? It's like these guys are creative; they're writers. Like they saw CryptoPunks, they were inspired by it. We're going to do another one, and now it's like brand conglomerate decisions and like buying up IP and assigning it in different ways. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, it, it kind of hits the reset button a little bit and then right. like the test becomes, maybe it just becomes about taste. Um, and I think what galvanized the, the board ape community so quickly was for the most part, it created a bunch of, wealth for people that did that previously were not wealthy yeah. in a way that I'm not sure CryptoPunks did the same thing. I think CryptoPunks were bought up in 2017 by like crypto OGs, people who have been right. native and interested in the space and their crypto assets appreciated at the same rate as their NFTs, if not more. Right. So the, the amount of sentimentality and like emotion you have attached to that thing there's some because of the nature of like, oh, I was first to the movement, but there's people who will, and th th like the board apes have like a interesting reputation in both directions, right? It's like, you can be super sensitive about it and like a little bit thin skinned because you have 90% of your net worth tied up in this thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's a most of the outside world is the most ridiculous thing in the world, right? So you t like, there's a, they have a little bit of a reputation of being like, um, you know, a little bit reactive and like, but it's, it galvanized community, whatever, um, in whatever definition you want to give that, but 
the fact that people are extremely financially and emotionally invested for a number of reasons. Um, and I don't think there's a few other examples of different like communities people have joined that have done that, but none to the extent that the board ape effect has had. Right. Um, so I think that it makes it defensible, but it also gives it like a, you know, a vector for attack as well. If you're like, so if your success is so contingent upon culture, then like there's plenty of fashion brands that have had their like moment in the sun and then kind of tailed off. So it now it becomes about executing over time. Um, it's, and it's really interesting to think about like how long an aesthetic can remain relevant to like the style of certain things. I, my thesis that I gave on this podcast before was crypto punks have like a, there's some timelessness to it because it's so simple and so like evocative of uh, like pixel art that it could have been designed in 1981 or tomorrow, right? Versus board apes definitely feel like moment in time. Yeah. Like around this era. Um, so we'll see how that, that plays out, but it kind of so Jack, scrubs some of the rules is- and assumptions. You were saying is Bored Ape could be the Ed Hardy of of uh, <laughs> NFTs. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I couldn't help bro, it. It's pretty funny though. I, <laughs> someone's getting pissed right now. I used to rock Ed Hardy, bro. Oh, so all of hard. us did, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, Jack, I'm sure you had a few of those graphics. What's, what's the guy's name? Oh, man, I could never pull uh, off an Ed Hardy. What's the guy's name? The designer, Christian Nagardier? I forgot his name, but I don't know. But what? What's the sorry? What's the other Ed Hardy thing? Because I think that was part of the Kazoma thread too. Von Dutch. Von Dutch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely sold a few Von Dutch bags back (laughs) in the Bling Bling King. Baby, baby pink, (laughs) baby blue era. Wait, hold on, hold on a second. So, so Jack, this is. I just want to. I think I want to emphasize this point, and I think it's major. Taking away the trump card of this is the oldest uh, collection, that's huge, right? Like that is like, that must be an earthquake. No, because it means that anything in the future could take out, if you have Mm. a better strategy, if you have a better go-to-market, if you have more cultural weight. And it's like you said, this is now turning into the fashion world in the sense of like, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think like people just use whatever it is they need to use to rationalize their allocation to this stuff, right? Like in the same thing in the art world, like the most valuable art in the world, you don't just say, how old is it? Yeah. Like there's a lot of old shit that's worthless. (laughs) Right. And then Jeff Koons is selling this thing that's made in the factory for nine figures because he's a marketer and he knows how to tell a story and get it in the right place. So everyone's looking at it. And I think that is like, we've talked about this at length the attention, your ability to command attention is far more of a, like, that's far more of a measure of how successful you're going to be in this world, how much more relevant you're going to be. And every single like layer of society being organized in this direction, going digital, et cetera, is, um, yeah, as soon as you erase like the signal that, everybody thought this thing was given off. As soon as you change that, it's like we talk about key man risk and key meme risk and all of these ideas of like, as soon as 51% of people believe this thing represents X, 
then you might not want to be associated with X anymore, depending on who you are. Uh, and I think that's like true in everything. Anybody that's like die hard affixed to a single asset or a single idea, like with exception of the people who are building that thing, it's, it's a riskier place to be, right? You don't control the variables, culture changes around you. And, yeah. um, and like you said, the, the fact that you've witnessed this happen once is probably setting precedent for the fact that it could happen again. And who knows, could be in 10 years, could be in 10 weeks. Yeah. Dude, I was going to ask a question for you guys and maybe Trung, you might have another example that you mentioned from earlier. Like uh, as Jack mentioned, applying this to the traditional business world or startup world, like this power move of saying like, there's me and one other big player. Let me just go buy them out. Right. Um, and especially being the newer player, are there any other examples that come to mind of people who have done this successfully? Outside of outside of Web3, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Just whether it's uh, I'm just I'm thinking like DoorDash, mm. Uber, like that style that happens all the time. They're all playing in a particular market and they're like, let's go grab the second player or the first player in this case, I guess. Yeah, I think one, maybe this is completely off of a comparison, but like buying features for like big technology firms, like didn't Apple buy Shazam? Just looking that up this week, Um, like just accents to the thing that you're already building. Um, There's actually a pull quote I should have, I should have called out at the beginning of this from the co-founders of Lava Labs. Okay. They said... Yuga Labs are the innovators of the modern profile picture project and the best in the world at operating these projects. They are the ideal stewards of the CryptoPunks and MeBits. In their hands, we are confident that they will continue to be vital thriving projects in the emerging decentralized web. That's kind of a, your standard, like, you know, this is uh, going to be great for everybody. Jack, Jack's right. going yeah. corporate, sell, <laughs> sell, bro. Sell it, sell everything. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. That's one argument, or it's like the opposite argument, right? It's gone corporate. It's in. It's like being stewarded by people who have a lot more to lose, and it has like ridiculous amount of capital behind it. As an investment, maybe it gets more uh, robust, but as like a signaling of like the decentralized web and like you know being a cypherpunk and like keeping your private keys under your kettlebell and all that stuff. It's, uh, it's kind of a counter signal to that now. But can I ask a question for you guys as well, your opinion on this? Because I think you brought up a great point there, Jack, about um, time, like, you know, a moment in time, like being the oldest version of something is only one variable, right? Like it's still a variable, right? Like a Rolex being around for X decades or however long it's been around, there's a certain lindiness to that, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So if you've managed to stay around for that long, that is a positive signal. If you can maintain the other variables, right, which is uh, going to sound like an old man here, but the coolness factor or yeah, yeah. The relevancy of, you know, you're still innovating, whatever you want to say. Um, but to me, again, just trying to be objective here, a lot of Web3 stuff is about pushing things forward and the progressiveness of things, creating a new new thing that is better than the last thing and that and it's i'm not sure if i've got a conclusion on this but curious to hear your guys take on how much of a factor will it be longer term because isn't it always going to be we've got a new thing and that can be that can replace the old thing versus 
you know, this old story that might work in traditional, you know, companies like LVMH, right? Like, I think that's yeah, a yeah, great yeah. comparison. Even if you think something in the middle, like media, like a traditional media company, yeah, there's longevity and lindiness to, um, you know, cartoon characters or something like that, but they they create new ones as well. Or they create new versions of it. Even if you think of like Batman we spoke about or Spider-Man, like they're, yeah, they're still using the same character, but they've adapted it and evolved. So the question is, will something like a board eight be able to, like, yeah, have yeah, that continue that can yeah. that can be evolved on, which maybe it can. Yeah, my, I mean, I think we discussed this before, where it's like it's it's niche, right? Like Disney is so ridiculously well done you know like walt disney and the way that stuff was created is like a two-year-old i think we've said this is basically the exact same thing before it's like a two-year-old can watch a like daffy duck or a donald duck cartoon and an 80 year old can watch it and they're like oh yeah that's you know there's something in there for everyone but i think the uh the opposite this is clearly a luxury brand right a niche brand and i think that's like becomes the challenge in how you deploy it as well um there's like the market for this is like the psychographic profile is pretty like similar generationally and like you've seen it by even the artists that they've gone after as sponsors like snoop dogg eminem it's like late 20s early 30s dudes who grew up in the 90s basically that are interested in this stuff and they have like a lot of them have uh, disposable income at this point in their lives. And I think the one thing you see on Twitter or the one thing that I would love to know more about in like culture more broadly than Twitter is like a lot of people just look at that and they're like, what is that thing? You know, like there's not uh, there's not the same just like gravity in the way that they've been designed or the way that they're recognized as like Disney characters are, for example. Right. It's a, it's a much more niche execution. So I think that's uh, like, is there a natural cap on how far it can resonate and how, like in what direction do they have to evolve the narrative to expand yeah. the market? Um, yeah. And I guess the counterpoint is that I agree with you, but I think the counterpoint would be Disney's, Disney's been around forever and it's, it takes time to get in front of billions of people and yeah. right. And especially when something's new, uh, you know, the whole world is like, most people are like, what the hell is NFT and why are you spending your money on that? But maybe in 10 years time, once it's been in multiple iterations of stuff that people are used to or get used to, yeah, maybe that will change. I guess that's the, the ball case for it. Well, I think, you know what, you know what is, um, what you just said made me think of is that's the approach they're taking, right? It's like they're buying up other IP and other collections and they're going to have like this centralized uh, ability to market this concentrated power, capital, network, distribution, and they can be a Disney in the same way that doesn't Disney own like, I don't know, it owns the most obscure shit. Like you think of Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse, but they've also got these like hyper niche whether it's characters or franchises or businesses, Yuga Labs is the Disney, not Board Ape Yacht Club, right? Like yeah. it's 
a level above what we're talking about here. So you guys going to turn into, yeah, I see what you're saying. They are, like you said, they are a steward of IP. This is what this move really means. Yes. You go, right. And I I think an important point also is since they took venture funding, you know, you have to do these moves to justify. Well, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if it's true that they got the deal. I know they were talking about it or did you see it confirmed? No, did you not get raised money? They definitely, there was a rumor that they're talking to Andreessen, but I didn't well, let's, see. Let's confirm it. Yuga yeah. Labs uh, VC funding. Yeah, I don't want to yeah, be wrong I here, thought so. they had as well, but that was just based on people writing about it. So I haven't actually. Oh, uh, I think you're up. right. Might be in it's talks. Just a rumor. Okay. Okay. So this was a board ape creator in funding talks with Andreessen at 5 billion. This is early Feb. So I'm not seeing. Okay. It looks like they want a $5 billion valuation nothing's been confirmed that's a great point but but you know what i don't like i won't i don't know how it works or how like who is supposed to disclose when like these are private businesses right so that maybe something's already happened is that fair just just yeah, assume that's a good point um, no 100 like, no, right and but this move seems consistent with something like i mean you mentioned they'd have like somebody comes in and is like here we're giving you a war chest if you yeah. were to build the disney of nfts or in web3 like what would you do it's like well we buy crypto punks it's like okay yeah I I think we're going to find out that this deal has been done and there okay. were some like expert negotiators and deal structurers involved in making this happen. These This is not the just the characters that came up with the collection, right? It's like yeah. there's a lot of very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they're building this world. It's very, very strategic. It's very deliberate what's going on here, right? It's yeah, I think like- that there's there's partners that have grown scaled built beastie businesses involved yeah. in uh, facilitating a transaction yeah. like this in my opinion yeah well actually Bilal, i wanted to answer your question of uh when's the last time like a, a, a upper comer acquired like an og so this is not i wouldn't i don't want to compare this at all to say that this is the outcome that's going to happen with yuga and and crypto uh not and crypto punks but it did remind me your question of uh, of when AOL acquired Time Warner at the peak of the uh, uh, dot com. Mm, and I'm not that. saying I'm not suggesting this is what's going to happen that the whole thing's going to flame out. But it, it is that energy of new up and comer, uh, uh, you know, taking out uh, the old guard. But this happened so fast, right? Like we're talking like a five year time frame since CryptoPunks started until this deal happened. Time Warner has been around for decades before AOL acquired it at the time, the largest deal ever, I think it's $180 billion merger, a uh, complete disaster. It's like the, we have to do a front seat fan on the AOL time Warner merger. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, that's a good, that's a good comparison. I like that. One more, uh, one more item for the Yuga lab discussion is they, late last year announced that they were going to be launching a token. So, uh, and they said Q1. And I think if I'm not wrong, May 8th was floated or April 3rd, one of the dates that's associated with the beginning of the project. And last week there was this big blow up on Twitter because they were asking people to, uh, for their social security numbers and like addresses and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, the so KYC the speculation stuff. is that they're registering as a security and they need to gather all this information. And if they're going to distribute equity to, you know, all these different characters, then uh, you need to know something about them. And they're obviously, again, 
sophisticated operators and legal partners and whatever else is going on behind the scenes. Um, Nostradamus Butcher over here. Yo, man, hey, has him. he missed? Has Butcher missed? Not really. Has not, not really. missed. Have I made any money from Butcher's prognostications? <laughs> zero. <laughs> I've made zero dollars. <laughs> well, if you haven't made negative, then you're doing all right. You're doing no, I great, made, man. I made negative. I made yeah. negative. No, no, no. no. Jack. No, that's a great point, uh, Jack. I, I didn't even think of the KYC um, story that we might have shared in the group chat, but we didn't talk about today. Um, all right. Anything else on that before we move on to Roman Abramovich? Really good. That was a good deep. That was great, that. man. That was a little bit of everything. A little bit of no, historical sir. context business strategy this is why people history. come to nia right like yeah. we're just gonna give you a little bit of everything <laughs> we're right. like a gumbo we're a delicious gumbo <laughs> it just gets better with time but you ever made like a gumbo type dish and then you try it the next day it's always it's better delicious, the next man. Day. chili you got, like the chili yeah you you gotta let the flavors right the flavors Biryani, yeah. come together yeah. Let the this just... clip you want to take that clip out and put it right at the beginning yeah. of the video right yeah. that's the, the, gumbo the cut clip of, yeah of podcast <laughs> all right talking <clears throat> of gumbo let's move on to uh robin abramovich okay where do we start here um okay so let me pe- let me tee it on. up for balao go on trunk okay nia listeners <laughs> excuse me i just coughed i got so excited you may not know but Bilal Bling Bling King Zadie is a massive fan of Chelsea Football Club. No, no, I'm not, not Chelsea, not Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> Don't insult me. Well, actually, you talked about Bling Bling King. The, the history is my other thing that I ran at the same time was something called Arsenal Review. It was a big okay. Arsenal website. So I used to write about Arsenal almost every day okay. for many years. So what's the relationship to you? Okay, Arsenal is your favorite football club. Yeah. Does that mean Chelsea is your enemy rival. for life? Are they yeah. are they the crosstown rival? Yeah, well so the the story is um Chelsea have become unfortunately the more successful club in recent times. Okay. Right. In the last 20 years which has been funded by Mr. Roman Abramovich, right? So the the, the, Russian the oligarch level, the Russian oligarch. The high level story is Roman Abramovich came into English football and kind of revolutionized football across the world because he brought in a bunch of money and that model has now been replicated by lots of other people he essentially bought a lot of their success which i'm not saying that in like a you know derogatory way or something but before that for 50 years they hadn't really won anything okay and now 20 years later they just won the champions league last year which is you know the really big competition that's like winning the world cup for club football and they've objectively been a really successful club in the last 20 years. And um, a lot of that has been funded by what a lot of people knew. He came from Russia and he was like this Russian oligarch. But because of what's happening in Russia in the war right now, he's just been sanctioned by the UK government. And what that means is essentially his assets are frozen. And one of his biggest assets is Chelsea Football Club. So, so we're gonna, can you tell the listeners what Chelsea can do now? Before okay, before Bilal gets into the history of Roman Abramovich, because he's about yeah. to drop some knowledge, can you explain to the listeners what is Chelsea allowed to do as a football club? What is it not allowed to do today? I think right now they've been given a temporary license to keep operating essentially, but okay. they're not allowed to take in new money. So it's like their bank accounts have been frozen essentially, is my understanding. So they can't sell merchandise. Like they, they're not able to... Uh, spend a certain amount on travel for example they can't sell tickets 
uh, to their game. They've already pre-sold tickets, so if you've bought a season ticket or you've already paid for tickets, you can still okay. go. But they're not allowed to sell new tickets. And so that's that doesn't really matter too much because a lot of their tickets are kind of pre-sold. But it's more the principle of the club is in limbo, uh, at least for a few weeks while things are being figured out if they're going to be able to sell. But if we back up a little bit before uh, he got sanctioned, basically one or two weeks before Roman Abramovich came out and proactively said, I'm going to sell Chelsea. Right. And that was already quite a big deal because, you know, he's got more money than God. He can basically do anything he wants. He's been making a loss for many years with Chelsea. What's his is, net worth to your understanding? Uh, I don't, I, I know it's, I think it was like 15 billion or, or okay. something like that. Maybe, maybe a little bit more. Um, so it's, it's, it's a crazy amount of money, but what, what has happened is in that time, he, he also said, I will sell um, Chelsea and the net proceeds, which is key net proceeds. I will give to victims of the war. Again, another kind of broad statement. Victims of war could also be Russian people who are yeah. also kind of, you know, being totally. impacted by the war. Net proceeds is a, a cheeky way of saying, what does net proceeds mean? The That's word net, let me let me tell the listeners, the word At net CFA Trump. is the, <laughs> when you hear the word net, it's legs everywhere. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. in Hollywood specifically, I'll give you an example. This is more uh, germane to Hollywood, but in, in, there's a term called Hollywood accounting. And this is why when you hear movie stars negotiate deals, you always hear uh, Tom Cruise gets 5% of gross box office. The reason it's gross is because he does not want the accountants hitting that net line because they'll just part, they'll put marketing expense, 50% of budget, travel expense, 10% of budget. By the time you get down to net, nothing. There's zero. Uh, Eddie Murphy, a famous comedian movie star, called the uh, net profit monkey points. He's like, I don't want none of the monkey points because That's he knows hilarious. that when it gets to the bottom, there's no money left. So uh, to Bilal's point, uh, the net uh, proceeds, questionable. But Bilal, yeah. I've already derailed this enough. No, that's Can right. you start from the beginning of Roman yeah. Abramovich's story? And yeah, hit so, us and, and while you said that, I did look up his net worth is close to what I said, 13 billion okay. on paper. Obviously, three, 3 billion of that is Chelsea, which yeah. is uh, he's probably not going to get anything out of that. So let's just back up a little bit. So he, uh, I mentioned in recent times, he said he's going to uh, sell the club, net proceeds, etc., that was him getting ahead of it. And when I saw that, that was already kind of unprecedented in the football world, right? No one's had to do that before. And um, and then like a week or two later, he's been sanctioned and all this stuff has, has kicked off. But if you back up a little bit, the bigger story is like where his wealth was made, right? And that's kind of what's being criticized. Now, the truth is most people have already been criticizing him for a long time as fans. We, people call Chelsea Chelsky. And they will say like, okay, you've got an oligarch who's who's bought you out and funded you. Again, to be objective, this almost happened to Arsenal. There's a guy called Usmanov who almost bought Arsenal, and he's another Russian Russian oligarch okay. who got his yacht seized recently. He was in the news, and so I'm being objective here that if it happened to me, who owns Arsenal? Arsenal right is owned by the Glaciers. Uh, not not Glaciers. Sorry, uh, the guy that just won um, the the with the Rams. Who's the owner of the Rams? Oh, oh, uh, oh, the, the, uh, Kronke, Kronke? Kronke, exactly. Stan Kronke, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Who is married on the way Man to a, uh, a, a scion of the Walmart family. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that, we have a nice 
clean, you know, like business owner, billionaire, right? Like, <laughs> oh, no, again, air no. quotes clean. We don't know uh, exactly. So that, that's kind of the bigger point that's coming, which is where's the line? What's clean, right? So, yeah. um, th- so to get back to, to uh, Ron Bramovich, first of all, he came into the UK with this thing called a golden visa. Have you heard of that before? You it's buy your way into a country, Basically, right? yeah. And the UK, and I, I don't know if Vancouver's got something like this, um, but essentially the reason so many Russian and Chinese and Saudi people come to the UK and buy up crazy real estate is because there's this thing called the golden visa. And essentially it means it's a golden ticket. If you've got enough money, they don't ask that many questions yep. where your money's come from, right? So that's now being pulled into question and people are saying, well, we've been doing that in wider society, not just with football. And this idea of sports washing, because what that means is if you've got a bad rep, you've done something wrong, you can come here and buy a football club. And now everyone thinks, oh, that's cool. You've, you've got a football club. It looks all glamorous. You've won football uh, trophies for us. Like people kind of just forgive you. Um, but when you go back now, I, last night I watched uh, a BBC Panorama documentary that they just released one or two days ago on this. So again, this is not me digging up stuff on him so no one's knocking on my door this is based on the panorama documentary there's a few key things 1992 he uh he's alleged to have basically stolen diesel from a train and rerouted it and sold it off so it's when he's 25 years old there's records of him basically going to court and having to defend so this is like early allegedly 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 and he was also apparently kind of grew up poor Uh, i think he was an orphan or something like that so this is in in nineties Russia, the Wild West, after you know the USSR the or Soviet, Soviet Union. Union was falling, things were becoming privatized, and that is the birth of a lot of these oligarchs, right? Like people were basically buying thing, you know, for pennies on a dollar, and so nineteen ninety two that happened. Then nineteen ninety five is where he really made a lot of his wealth, and the the kind of summary is. Um, a lot of the oil companies of the of the country were being put together to be privatized and himself and his partner boris we'll call him boris is um they they basically bought an asset that was potentially worth billions for about 200 million dollars or or around that price and there's there's a whole backstory to that but the summary is apparently again allegedly they paid off an official with 10 million dollars again there's records of this in some court um hearing because later boris i think sued him for six billion dollars yeah so they, during this court case they brought up a lot of these things so he's kind of talked about it before but it's kind of flown under the radar and the the conclusion to that is they bought it for 200 and then eventually sold it for 12 billion dollars 10 years later right, so 200 million to 12 billion that is where he made most of his wealth and then since then he's basically been you know buying assets he also served under uh, in with putin he was i think uh in the government or something for eight years and that is where the ties to putin have come the summary on putin is that he again allegedly is the front man the business man the money man for putin and he's even given this him is an like, allegation this, this is, is an, an allegation, allegation that, okay. again in the panorama documentary they talked about and they said that he's even like apparently gifted a 50 million dollar yacht to put okay. right like so this we all know what gifted means same way with hollywood accounting so that is kind of like the the summary of the allegations a lot of the allegations from the past um so yeah to summarize the knockdown price they bought it for 
The big thing here, though, is that it was also apparently funded by the government, right? So not only did they get an asset for a few hundred million dollars when it should have been a few billion, he didn't even use his own money. It was yeah. a loan from the government. And this is something called loans for shares. I can walk and through I think, this if you Trunk, want. you've been looking into this. So what is yeah. loans for shares? Okay, so you mentioned that he made a lot of his money in 1995. So I'll give you the historical context behind that. So this loans for shares scheme was basically, it's 1995. It's four years after the fall of the Soviet Union. The Russian government is under Boris Yeltsin. So what's happening is that democracy now, ostensibly, it is a democracy. They're running elections. Going into the 1996 Russian election, there's a lot of fear in the country that the Communist Party is going to win the election. So you just had communism fall and the Soviet Union fall, and now they might come back into power in Russia. So Boris Yeltsin had two purposes he needed money for. Number one is just to run the state. The state was already not run very well because it's coming out of uh, 70 or 60, 69 years. That's a joke. 69 years of the Soviet Union. Nice. Um, the government wasn't running very well. And then he also needed money to run the election. Right. So what how how is the government going to raise money? The tax system is in shambles. But Bilal alluded to they have all these assets. Because as we're finding in the last couple of weeks, Russia is a natural resource monster. Last week, we talked about commodities. They own 10% of the world's oil, like 10% of natural gas, 10% of all these important precious metals. So the government has these state-owned assets, uh, particularly the oil and gas industry. So they sold, uh, the loan for shares uh, situation goes exactly like this. Commercial banks would lend buyers, like people like Roman Abramovich, these, this whole class of individuals that turn into oligarchs, they're all politically connected. They were lent money uh, and, and to buy these assets from the government. So now the government receives the money, right? And in exchange for the government receiving the money, it was a loan. They put up collateral in these companies. So some banks, uh, like take one oil company, for example, uh, they, uh, it was $10 million, uh, a loan, and you got 40% of the oil company as collateral. And if the government didn't pay that back in a year's time, that converts into equity into the oil company. So that's how you buy something at a, like a, a cut down rate is Completely. what I said, right? No, that's a great way to put it. And then Trunk, just to add to that. So beyond, so you can argue that could be a really great way to do it if it was done correctly, you know, without corruption. hundred percent. And the, the criticism is that on top of this, there were a lot of like auctions at that time, right? Exactly. And the and auctions were restricted who could do them, right? Exactly. So they so weren't like real auctions. Auction. They were fixed. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example. There's a crazy story. So these 12 assets that were sold, like a very extreme example of how they fixed one of these auctions was the auction was held in like Eastern Siberia. And to... To auction for the asset, you have to physically be there. So you don't want to know what they did at the airport in that air. They shut down the airport. So no planes could arrive and no one could bid on the auction except for the individuals that were pre-selected. Yeah. The other sketchy thing that happened was the loan was made, uh, the loan was made, but the auctions themselves would only happen after the election. So that means everybody was incentivized to make sure that Yeltsin won. Right. Because they wanted Boris Yeltsin to stay in place because he was a 
you know, uh, versus the, the communist regime and the communist party, a much more friendly, quote unquote, to business. But I, I, I'll actually tell you a couple interesting things that happened. So the reputation, as Bilal alluded to, was that this time, 95, 96, created these oligarchs, these Russian oligarchs. But uh, I read a really interesting re- uh, uh, academic paper about this particular loans for share scheme. So it was sketchy. It was rigged. Uh, but it actually wasn't as big of a, a, a um, in terms of the entire economy as it's held up to be now. Like if you mentioned loans for shares, everybody says, oh, that's why the Russian economy is a disaster. And like, that's why it's run by oligarchs. But a couple of interesting things from this article came out is like the, uh, the entire assets that were sold. So these 12 companies is about $2 billion. Uh, that's only 10% of the Russian stock market at the time. And uh, just as an example, Gazprom, the gas giant, uh, that it has been feeding gas to Europe for these past decades. They sold $2 billion worth or gave away $2 billion worth of Gazprom in vouchers to the citizens. So like in terms of how large uh, this privatization was, it wasn't as big as uh, perception has it now. But then the question is, why has it held this perception that loans for shares is the reason why oligarchs exist? But then isn't it, it also... Trunk that they eventually, like 10 years later, they sold for way more than that, right? Yeah. So, so they, there's two parts to that. Maybe they did. Go, go, go ahead. Yeah, I'll explain that. No, that's a huge part. So they sold later, right? So the, the value increased 10 times. It's because the Russian economy exploded. Uh, gas, natural resource prices went up. So like in mid 2000s, when gas, uh, especially oil was on the rise, it's like all these assets, like you said now, are worth so much. And so... The misperception, according to this paper, is that analysts looked at how much like Exxon or Chevron or Shell was getting per barrel. And they're like, man, like the Russian government really undersold this asset versus what an Exxon would have gotten. But what they're not taking into consideration is the fact that there's geopolitical risks, right? It's like, would you rather own Exxon or a a Russian oil company in 1995, right? That's going to be a massive discount. Uh, and then also you have to remember uh, between the loans for share deal and then 2005 when Abramovich sold for 12 billion, the Russian economy completely collapsed. The Russian economy completely collapsed in 1998, and they defaulted on their debt. And you remember you, an individual investor like you or me or our parents could have bought the same assets that Roman Bonavist did, and then hundred x. But yeah. then you would have had to stomach those two, three years when the economy went to basically zero. You know yeah. what I mean? So like on like a risk adjusted basis, it wasn't like as criminal as it sounds. The criminality was like the rigging of the auctions themselves. Yeah, that's a great point. I think yeah. that's a really fair point. I'm sure in those 10 years, they added value. I'm sure they grew it Absolutely. legitimately as well. But there's, uh, there, I think there's just so many examples of it seems to be corruption. Right. The last one I'll mention, which is also from the Panorama documentary, was the kidnapping of a Chinese uh, representative. So there was a company called CNPC who had come, who were basically bidding in an auction with one of these uh, Roman Abramovich's companies. It might have actually been not the oil uh, this time. It might have been like aluminium or something like that. Right. Metal, uh, metal. But essentially, this dude turns up to Moscow and just gets kidnapped, doesn't <laughs> yeah. turn up at the auction, and eventually gets released once they had withdrawn. Again, this is allegedly, who knows if this totally. is true, but this was on BBC. They're not like some random dude on YouTube just making stuff up. Um, like us. 
yeah exactly so they're not us they're definitely not us so but yeah the 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 kind of summary is there's a lot of corruption alleged corruption totally i'm sure he did grow some things i'm sure he's built like real skills in that time and he's you know uh, added some legitimate value but i think the the premise is that they basically cheated a lot of totally to own the assets to begin with exactly and the tax especially the taxpayers essentially like they were the ones who kind of like lost out here and so the that's kind of the history part right but now look let's look forward like the most important thing is now like what's happening right now and what's going to be the impact beyond you know there's one part is chelsea and the second is the global sports world right it's not just like this is the biggest sport in the world and the the premier league is the biggest league in football right so the the question is where is the line and i i guess i'd throw it to you guys like looking at other reference points of you know u.s sports and and other stuff we've seen in the past like what is a fair way to do this because the someone who supports chelsea and is kind of on on his side might say this is like quite unfair for a regular fan of chelsea or the players or you know the staff who work there um, and even me, I can say like, you know, if some random guy or girl who works in Chelsea Stadium is now not going to get paid because yeah, of totally. something, that's that's not a good thing, right? Like no one wants those people to be worse off. But the question is, should this have been there in the first place, right? Like the, this, this is not just about football, the golden visa uh, system, us turning a blind eye as, you know, British government uh, and the West essentially, and all of a sudden getting a conscious when it's convenient is what's happening right now and uh, especially in football i mean newcastle just got bought by basically the saudis right and totally the, the manager of um newcastle eddie howe was just asked a few days ago in a press conference in a press conference what do you think about the 81 people who were just executed in saudi arabia what, what and, did he say? and he basically said like i'm a football manager i couldn't like talk about football that's you know? so true man now what's going to happen is pep guardiola gonna go, gonna be asked for Man City soon because they're owned by Abu Dhabi, uh, I think, and PSG is owned by the Qataris, and there's lots of examples of because they all have human rights issues, right? Exactly, this is, it's such a great point. Yeah, and um, and that's the kind of wider discussion. We're not going to solve it today on this call, but you know, where is might be loud. Don't don't discount us. We might yeah, figure dude, it out. We're getting pretty close, man. Like <laughs> so uh, I know, I think we're uh, about to solve world peace here. But yeah, I I think for me the line is. You know, there, there's no checks and balances right now, really, right? Like they just said, oh, we're buying a club for X amount of money. Here's a bunch of money. Everyone turns a blind eye. And then the truth is the football world has got its own corruption problems. FIFA has had its own, you know, problems around yes. this. The World Cup that is the Olympics. coming up. It, it's it, all, everything exactly. is corrupt around. So, you know, you bring such good points. Like this is not just about football, right? You've made the broad points about sports washing. Like Mikhail Prokhorov, Another oligarch owned the Brooklyn Nets, right? It's like the basketball. And then now the Brooklyn Nets are owned by Joe Tsai, the co-founder of Alibaba, right? He made billions of dollars coming up in the Chinese communist uh, era in, in, in the early 2000s. And then more recently, and we saw what happened with Jack Ma, um, with the Chinese government clamping down on him. It's like, these these assets are... They're just whatever. There's a thousand people that can own these assets that we talk about, these sports leagues. And, um, you know, it's like behind the, the quote, it's like behind every great fortune is a great crime. It's like there's just some truth to that, right? And I, I had no idea about the Newcastle situation, but I, I think that's such a salient example. Is like 
if you right now are a, uh, a a football fan in Europe and you're you're making fun of Chelsea, it's like you should probably look at your owner too, right? It's yeah. Like, who's the owner of your club? And then the Newcastle situation is so interesting. It's like now Saudis are like they're not <laughs> they're not particularly the nicest people in the world, right? The Saudi government. Yeah. And so um, I guess the the question is we don't really have a resolution here, but the the one thing I will say that the u.s sports some of them and i'm not an expert in this but there's the a sense of financial fair play so in the in the football world we do have financial fair play in air quotes but all the leagues are dominated by the richest clubs and it's not like the nba where you have like a salary cap there's a salary cap in the nba right yeah yeah so there's not a salary cap the same way um you have in the NBA. There's not like a, a draft where like the bottom teams get better picks the next year and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm not saying we need to like Americanize the football world necessarily, but we need to have a better, more equal footing because right now it just has been, if a rich person comes and buys your club, you over several years, you're going to kind of buy success. And, um, and, and, and like for a club like Arsenal, you know, Arsenal has been kind of like the opposite model. We've obviously got a billionaire who owns us, but they've been trying to create a self-sustainable model, generally speaking. They upgraded the stadium 15 years ago. Uh, they bought cheaper players and then sold them for more. Like there's a few examples of clubs who do that. Arsenal, Dortmund, Liverpool even, you can argue, have uh, seen success through kind of quite smart business uh, behavior again i don't know all the details maybe someone's going to say in the comments like actually it's owned by this person and they've done xyz now like the bigger question is this this idea of morality in sports right like where is the line because you know we can literally make an argument against every single owner like you said and uh, so I, I don't know what the answer is to this but we wanted to cover it because it's obviously pressing topic with roman abramovich Anything else from you guys? Any other thoughts on that? I had I have one quick thought on um, why oligarch uh, the perception of oligarchs around loan for shares persisted. It actually benefited everyone at that time to make people believe that these oligarchs uh, were responsible for owning all this economy uh, by these means, right? Even though I just mentioned loans for share only accounted for maybe ten percent of the economy, that's not nothing, but it's not a hundred percent. Uh, if you think about it, it benefits everyone. It's like, if you are the government, it makes it sounds like, oh, they're privatizing quickly, right? Like, if you are a foreign investor, come. Like, we will play ball, money talks. There's that perception. The oligarchs obviously want to keep that myth going, right? For the same reason. It's like, yeah, we own the entire economy. Like, um, obviously, that's come back to bite them 25 years later. But at the time, you're gathering power. And then the opposition party to Yeltsin and his government, they're the same, right? They're like, listen, look, they just gave away the entire economy. So like everybody at that time was incentivized to be like, yeah, loans for share was giving away the entire economy for nothing, right? It's really, it's kind of twisted, but it makes sense. Uh, that was my only point on that. And the, I had a question for Bilal was, um, so the what is everything we said about don't question, I mean, look at your own ownership, what, what are you reading through the grapevines? Two questions. Number one, who do they think Chelsea's going to sell to? What are you seeing? And can you tell us some of the internet fights that you're reading about? Have you seen anything online? There was this good internet beefs going on. Like, I love hearing about these different worlds that I'm not involved in. All right, first well, question. 
Who's buying? Who's buying? Who's Chelsea? buying? I'm not sure. There, I think there's people putting in bids right now. Okay. Um, there was the, interestingly, Conor McGregor had posted, even if it's just for press. It said he'd texted probably his business partner or some rich person he's friends with and said, like they're up for sale. Maybe we should buy them. So that would actually be quite a fun, uh, interesting one if something like that could come off. Um, I, I know there's there was actually talk of another Saudi group which was like a, I think a media group or something like that okay. who'd been talked about buying them, which obviously brings its own questions. And I, I, I think whoever buys them now can't be someone who... You got to be clean as a whistle, man. Exactly. You got to be... It's got to be and Yuga Labs. Yuga Labs has Yuga, to buy... <laughs> Yuga Labs buys Chelsea, yeah. And and the, the, the good thing is for a lot of the competitors like Arsenal, Liverpool, etc. is to say, all right, this is one of the dominant teams who now hopefully won't be able to play kind of on an unfair, you know, uh, playing field, right? Like they've been okay to take a loss to up to the max, basically that you're allowed because yeah. he's willing to take a loss because it doesn't make a difference to him. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know who the owner's going to be, but those are the few that have been kind of floated around so far. And to answer your question on fights, I mean, more, less so the fights, but more the memes. The memes have been insane. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> Did I you feel bad because like so. The Ryan like, I mean, Air? There's, there's pictures of like, yeah, there's pictures of like the players. Flying on Ryan, Ryan Air. Air. <laughs> or like, like, yeah, one of the players doing like a group dinner and it's like, looks really terrible. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, the, the kind of serious point is, I mean, look, if from a football point of view, if you're a player right now, do you want to smoke? Do you want to be there at Chelsea or do you want to be somewhere else? Like if you're someone who's about to sign, like I think Haaland um, has been talked about who's one of the best, you know, strikers in the world right now. Um, like they were, there's talk about him going there, but would you really want, it's going to deter people, right? Like that's the, the point. So I think it'll be interesting to see six or 12 months from now. My opinion is it'll probably end up selling to someone pretty clean-ish, right? And they'll probably still be a dominant player because they've already got such a big leg up. Right. But I think over a 10-year time frame, it's going to be difficult for them to do what they did because they're not going to be able to just take a huge loss. Like, that's not able... Most, most teams can't do that. So that's kind of my prediction for it. Dude. Jack, anything from from you, mate? I know you. Uh, I was just going to come in with the with the left field Web three <laughs> mad madman take. It. Let's do it. So I was like, just as you guys were talking, I think uh, like manufacturing community around these assets on the internet is very hard <laughs> to do, right? But if you talk about sports, like irrational passion and investment and time, and like especially growing up somewhere like the UK, it's like. And in the States for different sports, right? It's like, yeah, it's like it is truly part of people's identity and they are like, they commit a significant amount of time, capital, energy over time to this thing in their life. And it's also very quantifiable. It's like your team either performs well and makes more money. They sign a player, they sell more merchandise, they get rights on this TV channel, they do blah, blah, blah. So you know, over time, maybe it becomes more normal. And I'm not saying this is the, like the tech stack is web three to make this happen, but fan ownership of a club at right, scale. Right. Chelsea Dow. Oh, there is a Chelsea sense. Dow, right? There is one. I, but I don't know what, what would it cost to buy Chelsea? Couple billion, Three billion. couple billion. Yeah. yeah. Um, billion. And then you got to manage it and, or just hire the, the, um, that hire the coach. Incredible. But it's, Someone it's a bit. Pull that off. Yeah. Like even a publicly traded club, 
is kind of interesting, right? I don't, I don't know enough about private markets to know whether or not that is a concept, but there must be ownership in these things privately. They're just not liquid. I think there are some that I, I don't know the details now, but I know in the past there's been, you could buy, I'm pretty sure Man United, you could in the past buy stock in them, but now they're owned by the Glacier, so I'm not sure yeah. how that works. I mean, even like you think about all of the money that goes into sports betting, like even if you siphoned off yeah. a percentage point and say you're going to get equity in every club you bet on from the pool of ownership, whatever, uh, tokens, there's actually a small experiment going on right now. Um, there's, a, there's a couple clubs, I think, that are being bought by crypto communities in the lower leagues in the UK. You have to... Uh, read up on that and talk about it on another episode. Yeah. But um, talk about like bootstrapping community out of the box. There's like, there's very few things that do that like sport does. So uh, I can see, you know, again, there's obviously transparency issues with source of funds and all of that stuff in, uh, in that world as well. But it would be great to start seeing clubs explore the idea of giving their fans back some ownership, some long-term upside in this thing that you spend your whole life supporting because they all make like, they're all businesses, right? They all kick off a certain amount of revenue to operate and, you know, pay the players they can afford to play, uh, pay. Um, so I think just those organizations were going to get more dynamic over time. We might not be at that point right now, but, um, maybe we'll get there eventually. Chelsea Dow, man. Yeah, I love that idea. Chelsea love- NFTs. Every seat in the stadium goes off as an NFT. <laughs> I love this fractional ownership. Jack's you get royalties noodling. on your you get royalties on your seat if you own a season ticket as an NFT. I mean, there's so much so to be many done. Ways to skin it for sure. Yeah. It's just uh probably just not as profitable as, you know, uh just a straight up JPEG. So we're a ways out. That's that's a good point. No, that's a great, great uh, way to round it out. Trung, anything else from you before we move on to the most NIA Trung fan headline of all time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> AMC no, lo- buys a gold mine. I, I love the Jack came in with the, the Web3 angle. So, Jack, uh, what do you think, man? Who do you think is going to own uh, Chelsea? Well, actually, guys, I was thinking you could uh, turn it on to a DAO and uh, sell the sheets as <laughs> NFTs. I'm like, Jesus, Jack, just answer the question. Love it. Love it. All of us is the answer, Trump. Everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. We're going to, yeah, it's the, uh, it's the response to the, uh, the inverse yeah. Soviet Union, mate. <laughs> inverse Soviet Union. All right, love Fair it. Enough, but yeah, man. so the, I'll just close that section out by saying, um, as much I'm sure there's some Chelsea fans listening to this and I wish you the best as a fellow football fan I wish you the best the, the also the, the worst <laughs> and if they they crumble uh, all the way down to get relegated I will not complain so it's all good alright let's uh, move on to the last one here uh, AMC buys a gold mine trunk what the hell is going on here man okay so this is Tuesday, uh, March 15th. This news hits the headline. So hopefully we can get this episode out tomorrow so it won't be old news because you know that this meme stuff, the news cycle moves quickly. But uh, I want to actually take this opportunity. I can talk about the deal for this gold mine, the AMC. Uh, can you can you give me a screen share? Yeah, but I also want to talk about AMC CEO, Adam Aaron, who is ridiculous. <laughs> As you can imagine, 
Hold on a second here. So we will do this. I'm just going to show a couple clips. Um, uh, it's a couple things we can laugh about. Uh, you guys see that? Here's a, hold on yeah. a second. Okay, there's the headline. So <laughs> just an absolutely ludicrous headline, right? Movie Let's read theater... it out for, uh, yeah, for listeners. Yeah. Movie theater chain AMC just bought a stake in a tiny gold miner with a shaky financial history. <laughs> That's an incredible headline. Jesus what? Christ. What an that these CNBC headline writers like just that, right? That is amazing, right there. But hold on a Imagine second. Imagine trying so, to explain that two years ago. Like I know, right? <laughs> well, here this is the funny thing. Uh, a couple of things we'll look at. Here's a, a Adam Aaron's uh, tweet explaining why he purchased uh, uh, the asset. Um, Hold on, let me how to get rid of screen share here. I can get rid of it. Uh, stop share. So Adam Aaron says, AMC is playing on offense again with a bold diversification move. <laughs> we just purchased 22% of Highcroft Mining in northern Nevada. It has 15 million ounces of gold and 600 million ounces of silver. Uh, so to summarize, AMC, the meme stock theater chain, just acquired... Uh, a gold mine. So I actually saw a comment on Twitter which made me laugh really hard. Someone said, "What if this is like MicroStrategy buying Bitcoin?" <laughs> I don't, I don't hate that. Except Bitcoin's narrative versus gold. But uh, Jack, I'm, uh, Jack and Blau, I'm sure you got something pretty funny here. Uh, so here's the tweet, and then check this out. What you have to understand about Adam Aaron, the CEO, is this: he went to Harvard Business School and has a long career turning around corporations. Like this guy knows what he's doing, right? Like wow. he is a seasoned uh, executive. Uh, so check out these photos he has at the mine site. Just, <laughs> oh he's, he's very 2022, right? <laughs> but I'll, uh, I'll actually give you a couple. Uh, let me show you this one right here. So if you're thinking that Adam Aaron is some noob that has no idea what he's doing, Check out this guy's resume. So I cannot emphasize this enough. Adam Aaron is an absolute hitter. Like this guy understands the public company narrative. So here are here's his resume. So 67-year-old Adam Aaron, he has a BA from Harvard, this small community college in the Boston area. He has an MBA from Harvard Business School. Not a dummy. So he's worked in marketing at Hyatt and United Airlines. He was the CEO of Norwegian Cruises, the CEO of Vail Resorts, the CEO and part owner of the Philadelphia 76ers. And then before AMC, he was the CEO of Starwood Hotels. And he's the one that enacted a $12 billion merger while at Starwoods. I believe it was with uh, Marriott. Um, I think that it was with Marriott. So this dude is not a dummy at all. Interesting. Like pretty fun life he's had, man. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, interesting that he started in marketing. Like okay, that's his, exactly, that was right? His, like, yeah. uh, that was his thing. He's a, he, at the beginning he's of a his marketer. Career. Exactly. Yeah. He started in marketing. Uh, and I mean, this, I, I got all this information from a Reddit profile of him. So you can imagine that the Redditors are not going to write it like a Wikipedia profile. In fact, I'm going to show you what the Redditors did during the height of, uh, during the height of uh, the AMC meme stock craze last year. So this is what Reddit did to Wikipedia. <laughs> they changed his profile to read 
Adam Aaron was named the Silverback King Kong CEO <laughs> in late 2015, lauded for his transformation of AMC. Also so, notable that it was before all of this, because I would have like I would have guessed that it was like way closer to that crazy run up than 2015. Oh yeah, absolutely right. Like that's when this he 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 joined uh, the uh, the 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 craze, but um. So smart guy, and uh, the uh, this Reddit post frequently refers to him as the silverback King Kong of the jungle. That's hilarious. <laughs> you know the ape we ape ape together. Uh, this is this is a hilarious sequence. Jack, you mentioned the marketing uh, part. So he worked for United Airlines and Hyatt in the marketing department. Uh, so this is how uh, Reddit described his uh, experience as a marketer for Hyatt and United Airlines. A silverback like Adam has no fear. He walks into uncharted territory and takes the territory that makes it better. And then he bounces. <laughs> it's a pretty accurate so, description. Yeah, exactly. So he, um, while at uh, United, he created the concierge program there. So I know that you guys are flyers and you know, this custom concierge stuff. He did a lot of the, that similarly at AMC. He uh, He's trying to upgrade the levels of the different tickets you can buy, tiers. You get free popcorn uh, if you own a share in the company. That's concierge stuff, right? Uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines, uh, he turned that business around. Uh, according to Reddit, um, they ask, uh, did $1 billion of debt and competition scare Adam? Uh, no, it did not. He did not paper hand the company. Uh, <laughs> the silverback gangster pimp hustled 24-7, 365 to turn around Norwegian cruise lines. And then the, the last thing I'll mention is uh, is his uh, selling of um, uh, the deal with Hyatt, uh, no, sorry, Starwood, uh, Sheraton with Marriott. So they formed the largest uh, hospitality company in the world. So this guy's a major hitter, right? So let's go ahead. I was going to ask you, Trung, the um, the characteristics of the like run up in the share price of AMC. It wasn't a short squeeze thing, or was it? No, it was. A, it, it definitely got caught up in the, the meme situation. So here we'll pull up the chart. So we'll tell you what uh, where where the company's at right now. So you saw that it, it, it's a seven billion dollar company. It was once thirty billion dollars. So you see it peaked here uh, in the summer of last year. Uh, Jack, you're right. It, it did catch kind of this crazy wave, but it was very, it was very uh, akin to the meme stock craze. Uh, it was shorted. I don't know if it had the same uh, short squeeze as GameStop did. Because mm. I just remember it being running in parallel with with GameStop, and it was yeah. like the retro. We're kind of going back to the Eminem, Snoop Dogg, like twenty to thirty something idiot on the computer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, is behind all of this, right? Yeah, no, exactly, right? It was like uh, that whole movement. But what's interesting about Aaron is, uh, as we just established, this guy is platinum corporate America. So what he's done, though, is very smart. He's totally leaned into it, right? Like on earnings calls, he will say directly, he's like, you know, we work for our shareholders, like as a wink and a nod to the Redditor crowd. And then, I don't know if you guys remember, but like very famous video uh, last um last summer while he's hitting the circuit. So again, marketing genius, this guy, he's trying to pull like a mini Elon move. So he's on a that helps, interview. Uh, make sure that our long-term futures. So for the uh, listeners, uh, he's in an interview 
the camera moves and it shows he's not wearing pants. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> what you remember that? So yeah, for the no. listeners, I yeah, I remember. Yeah, it, yeah, the camera scans and he's not he's, he's not wearing pants. So this dude right there. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> So he's on the Zoom call. Look at the guy's face. The other guy's face. Yeah. <laughs> but afterwards, everybody's like, that was so manufactured. Like, because it hit the news headline like crazy. And this guy, and again, I got to emphasize, this guy is pulling the marketing moves. And he's pulling a lot of Elon type moves, right? So super smart guy, Harvard Business School. Let me show you. I, got, I went deep on this. He, it's not just dude, him. He's got his Kanye moves going. Dude, looks like. check this out. The... This is the AMC C-suite. So Adam Aaron, Harvard Business School. Elizabeth Frank, Harvard Business School, their chief uh, content officer. Uh, Sean Goodman, their CFO. Where do you think he got his MBA? Harvard Business School. Last one, Stephen Colonera, their chief marketing officer, went to Wharton. So these guys are like, very savvy about what they're doing. And they've done some very smart strategic moves. Like I'll just wrap up this whole session by talking about what they did in the run-up to uh, this gold mine uh, situation. So last year they sold $1.2 billion of AMC stock, right? So when your stock goes on a run-up, like we just saw, what do you do? The best move is you raise money from the market, right? It's because you issue secondary shares because your, 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 your stock price is worth so much. You take that money, you can pay down debt, uh, invest in the business or buy gold mines. So that's looks like what they've, they've done, right? They bought this gold mine. And uh, I mean, I, I read you guys a rationale is like, he said that there's 15 uh, million ounces of gold resources in this mine. I mean, like six months ago, this mine was about to go out of business. So I read some analyst reports about uh, if this is a good move. Some are, uh, you know, I think our gut instinct is like, what is this company doing? is like they're taking like their valuable cash and quote unquote diversifying into natural resources. There's that I angle. Think, I Did you say how much a, it was? 20, yeah, they spent, uh, I think 22, $24 million for 22% of this company. I Not think that all, frame yeah. around uh, Michael Saylor buying Bitcoin is quite funny. It's yeah, interesting right? because... I mean, if you think what he's been saying, it's just, it's just, it's not that dissimilar to say, I mean, and gold has actually been running up and there's, uh, there's a war going on. So uh, it's pretty smart. It's quite smart. Well, I'll tell you something funny about uh, to mine. his justification for it. I mean, he says, our strategic investment uh, is the result of having identified a company in an unrelated industry that appears just like AMC was last year. This is hilarious. It has a rock solid asset but for a variety of reasons has faced immediate liquidity issues. So, I mean, the meme angle is really what's going on here, right? Let's be honest with ourselves. Like the, the amount of press that these guys are getting, us talking about it, like we're not CNBC, but like I think we're a good bellwether on what Mimi is working. <laughs> and uh, so uh, to summarize everything, Adam Aaron is a beast in corporate America and him and his team of Harvard Business School suits saw an opportunity to uh, hop in there. I think there might be some insider dealing. I'm not 100% sure. Not, not like insider training, but they might be supporting somebody on this move with extra cash. Uh, there's some uh, shenanigans around uh, one of the other investors, Mudrick Hedge Funds, which had previously invested in AMC. They were a former investor in Highcroft. But I don't know. I don't know what the optics is, guys. Uh, we're talking about it, so I think they won. I think that's a takeaway. Well, what do you guys think?
Yeah, I don't. I was just gonna um, see whether or not the there would be an ability for like the Reddit crowd to add additional momentum to this, but it's like a tiny private company, right? Like if yeah. they had stock in an asset that, I mean, the micro strategy Bitcoin thing is interesting. People buy micro strategy to get exposure to Bitcoin because they can't get exposure in that market. But this feels more like oh, yeah. pure meme. You know, you can go, yeah, I mean, you, you can, can right now get a gold, gold ETF, GLD, right? GLD. Yeah, easy. easy. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so anyway, it's nice pretty, summary, uh, yeah. the other, th the other parallel with, with, uh, Michael Saylor, MicroStrategy is like the product. I want, I want to say admit defeat and maybe like Saylor would say, I've listened to enough of him. He's like, our market share is not expanding at this point, right? Like the enterprise software that we've shipped keeps our business afloat. We do good trade, but we're not like, you know, going to a hundred million more businesses next year. Like we're in the maintenance stage of our business. Yeah. And I think culturally AMC is probably at a similar spot, right? Like with all the way the world has changed in the, in recent years, like people aren't queuing up to get back in the cinema. I'm not saying that's universally true, but it doesn't feel like that behavior is like going parabolic anytime soon. Right. So it's just like, what else can we do? I don't think they can do anything legitimate in the streaming world right it's like you don't that's not really the world they play in yeah where you got netflix hulu whatever else there's no like immediate parallel that movie you think pass, bro remember movie right pass? right that was you could just invent this like diabolically sh shocking economic model like the movie pass right you mean or, a 20 dollars unlimited movie or worth yeah dollars unreal man you could let live the, in the let cinema let the market regulate did itself you, the market have, regulates did itself did you guys have movie pass i had that it was i had it for a month or two did yeah, you guys watch crazy. did you watch love oh, i went all the time it was amazing. that's hilarious it was yeah, amazing yeah. for the consumer it was amazing i just didn't make any sense on the other side. Guys, I have uh, I have uh, the Moses of finance journalism came down from on high. Matt Levine from Bloomberg, my uh, ostensible colleague. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, this is an amazing excerpt, but uh, this will be my last thought on it. I'm happy to hand it off to you guys after. He goes, AMC's core competency isn't gold mining, and it isn't running a movie theater either. Their core competency is using the meme stock mechanism to raise money and to buy and sell other businesses and to lend itself like the memeiness of itself to other businesses. That's such a great point, right? It's like AMC is this cultural phenomenon that we've talked about for just from the beginning, this idea of memes. It's lending them meme a credence to other assets. So this is an interesting, mm, an interesting case frame. of what it can pull off. I like that. You know what you could... Uh, reinvent the acronym. Maybe they could do that next. Like American, it's right now it's American Multi Cinema, but it could be like American Meme Company. Yeah, you could no, just uh, reinvent the re, like it's uh, like they a holding should. company for memes. They should, yeah. yeah, like you guys, yeah. uh, basically Yuga. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they'll maybe they'll go that direction, and then I don't know. Maybe there's some. Uh, Man, there's got to be some better applications for those physical locations too. It's just uh, like this. I don't know. People go in there and watch TikTok for yeah for two hours. <laughs> just go in there. <laughs> Yo, Jack, I gotta say, Jack's like oh no, like left field ideas are like pretty on point today. Jack, like, who's gonna buy Chelsea? Week, he's oh. become the chief creative yeah. officer yeah. of AMC. <laughs> yeah. Give me a ring. Give me a ring. Yeah. <laughs> All right, All right, boys, I think we, uh, we're hitting time here. Uh, yeah, that, that was, was great, good, guys. 
good summary. I will say we did want to talk about Kanye West documentary, which we won't get to today. But um, we've got a big I, guest I, for you guys next week. Oh no, we do have a big guest. Yeah, here, we'll right. we'll keep it on the DL. Just be sure to listen to next week. Anybody that's yeah, made make this sure far, you're but, subscribed uh, and uh, locked in for next week. That's gonna be a good one. But yeah, I will say, um, yeah, that was a good good chat, boys. I think we can wrap it up there. Anything else before we call it? No, that was perfect, man. Nah, everybody, chat. thanks for listening. Yeah, you know what to do. Yeah, yeah, like. Well, I'm gonna be more explicit this time, guys. We're not seeing. We're not seeing these five stars on Spotify hit as much, guys. Where are the reviews on Apple? Come on here. Let's juke up these views on YouTube. Now, we appreciate y'all. 100%, man. All right, boys. Uh, yeah, so next week we got another, we got a good guest coming and um, lots lots going on. So we will, And I'm back in New York now. You can see my, my tree back in the background. So uh, feeling good to be back, back home, man. Um, all right, and as always, thanks again for joining us. We will see you on the next one. Yeah, peace out. Peace. Oh,